Hey, this is Nathan. And this is Thomas. Today on Not the Pastor, we get to talk to Dave Hardy, Pastor Emeritus of Eastland Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're going to have a discussion about worship. Now, Brother Hardy wrote a book on the subject of worship entitled, Worship and the Ear of God. He has some wonderful thoughts about how we can humble ourselves and please God in this area. Hardy, we are so excited to have you with us today to talk about something that is is very important, but maybe maybe overlooked, maybe needs some more emphasis in our own personal lives, and especially in the the church realm. And that is this idea of worship. And you you wrote a book on this, and that that book is entitled "Worship and the Ear of God." And so we wanted to talk with you about some of the content that's in that book. A little bit today, Brother Hardy. So, so thank you for for coming on with us today. But before, can we do this before we get into the book? I, I love your story of how you began the ministry. So, could you share with us just how how ministry began for you? Sure, uh, Nathan, and and thank you to you and Thomas for the opportunity to be on the podcast today. And worship has turned out to be a, a very important subject for me in my life. But as far as the ministry is concerned, I uh, trusted Christ when I was 17 in a small Baptist church in Arlington, Texas. But I went into the Navy as soon as I was old enough. I might have said 17, saved at 14, went in the Navy at 17. Went to boot camp, San Diego, submarine school, New London, Connecticut, then to Charleston, South Carolina, to the Navy base, and was assigned to the USS Senate. So after being on the submarine for about three or four months, I don't know the exact time, but someone said, hey, the captain and executive officer want to see you um, in the ward room. Oh, wow. <laughs> a little concerned about that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, sure. understandably. I'm hoping it was a good thing and positive, but anyway, um, I went. I think it's good to reflect back on a real slender, if not downright skinny, 17-year-old kid. <laughs> not really what you would consider a military person as such yet. So he just had uh, four questions for me, but the captain said, Hardy, uh, we've been watching you. Now I need to mention that neither the captain or the executive officer knew the Lord. I don't know if they ever did. I hope so, but they did not at that point. Uh, We've been watching you. He said, first of all, you don't do drugs, do you? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, "Um, you don't drink? I said, no, sir, I I don't. And then he said, you don't even smoke. I said, no, sir, I I don't smoke. And the last thing he asked me was, he said, you don't have any girl pictures on your locker. I said, "Uh, no, sir, I don't. I thought those to be strange questions, especially coming from a lost man. I wonder sometimes if lost people don't have a higher estimation of what a Christian should be than some Christians do. But then he said, I want you to hold religious services on this submarine uh, while we're at sea. I thought, yes, sir. I mean, that's what you tell the captain anyway is yes, sir. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I tell people it was almost unusual. I said, want to be kind of somewhat called into the ministry by a lost person. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sounded exactly right. Uh, 
And of course, after I got saved at 14, I had some premonitions that, and hoped that God would do something with my life. Sure. But I had no idea what kind of trip that would take. There we go. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So let's get on into the discussion about this this book, Worship in the Ear of God. That's a that's an interesting title, but but tell us why did you decide to write this book? Well, to begin with, I'd been pastor of Eastland Baptist Church about 16 years, been back about 1989. Okay. And of course, I'd gone to Bible college before I came to church, but then had gone through Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and then was doing some work at Dallas Theological. And the subject of worship was broached just a little bit. It was the end of the year, and I was trying to get goals together uh, for our church for the coming year. Normally, that would involve encouraging them to uh, reach out to people, soul winning and so forth. As I sat at my desk, I was thinking about that, and it just seemed like the Lord, you know, we say said, I didn't hear an audible voice, but he can communicate with us fairly clearly. It just seemed like he said, David, uh, not this year. And what I heard from him was, uh, Eastland doesn't worship well. The church I pastored didn't worship well. That caught me completely off guard. I sat there for a little while, maybe Maybe if the word would be dumbfounded, I was trying to process that. And I thought, well, when I preach, our people are very uh, open. They are very responsive. They're quick to come to the altar. And I thought, this is a wonderful church. I've been in a lot of churches. And, and then the longer I thought about it, are they worshiping? And then I realized I couldn't define worship. I had never to define the word. I just assumed because after I got saved that on our sign outside, <laughs> it yes. said Sunday school 945, main worship service 1045, and the Sunday evening service at seven, prayer meeting on Wednesday. And like the Lord said, so Dave, what was the difference in the worship service you had back then than any other service? And I had no answer. So in thinking about that, I thought, well, no wonder. I, I don't know what it really is. So then I thought I am going to find out what it is. And so I began to read on it and inquire and read quite a number of books. I think probably because we have grown up a certain way that we feel like, well, that was worship. But again, it was nothing different than anything else we'd ever done. I finally came up with a short definition for myself, and I realize it's not complete, but worship is a voluntary humbling of one person physically and spiritually in order to exalt another. Well, I built some lessons on that, I, I suppose maybe some sermons on it, and I just used them at Eastman Baptist Church began what I would call a worship service there too that was added to the normal Sunday morning preaching service. Um, then I was at a fellowship meeting, I believe in Kansas, might have been early 90s, I don't know. And I decided to preach on that and I did. And it seemed to go well. And then I started getting uh, some requests from young preachers. Well, Hardy, do you have some outlines or notes for worship? And I said, I, I do not. And I got several, so I thought, well, I should have. 
before I thought about it, but it just took a long time. I mean, years literally passed because I'm not a writer and I've never written anything like that. <laughs> but I had enough inquiries. I thought I just need to do something with it. So I actually wrote the book in response to requests about information concerning my journey, how I got there. And that's what caused me to write the book. Brother Hardy, we, we'll probably get into some of this as we get going, but what were some of the differences then between, I, I imagine that a Sunday morning service at Eastland looks a lot like Sunday morning services around uh, at a lot of Baptist churches around the country. What changed when you begin to have that conversation and really dive into what worship was, what changed about the services at Eastland? Well, when you look at the word worship, either in Hebrew or Greek, you know, in Hebrew, in Shekah, Proskuneo in Greek, they are very close. There's only a word or two difference. And you cannot get away from the fact that it deals with bowing, uh, actually the word prostrate, and I mean, on your face, uh, humbling, it's in both of them. So, so I guess I want to say that humbling yourself or bowing is inherent in the word worship itself. In other words, you don't need to add the word bow to worship. It already means bow. And so as I read that, I thought, well, our primary error is that we are not humbling ourselves before the Lord. So I worked with the music director, Brother Jim Ramsey, and so um, probably about two or three songs in on Sunday morning. Our people love to sing, and that was good. Brother Ramsey would have picked out a song that would really honor the Lord, maybe something that would be closer to our heart. I love my Jesus. I love thee. I know thou art mine. Or you might be something else, uh, you know, great is thy faithfulness to really turn um, our hearts towards him, not just a Bible truth, but towards him as a person. And Brother Ramsey would be at the platform and at the microphone, and he would just say, we have set this time aside to worship the Lord. And we invite you uh, to kneel with us. You can come to the altar. You can kneel in your pew. And the reason we bow is because we feel it is the most biblical form of worship. And our people just bought right into that, and they were down on their face, so to speak. And it would just be like for maybe two verses. And then I would come to the microphone and then uh, pray a pastoral prayer. And that was the end of the worship part. It was just a, maybe a small or short addition to the sure. regular service uh, to acknowledge him. Wow. Okay. So the, the change then there was it actually added a piece to the service that gave opportunity for people to bow down physically, kneel before the Lord in a moment when we get to spend some time thinking and reflecting specifically on him. Well, correct, Thomas. We didn't take away from the service at all. In other words, we didn't cut back on anything else. It was an addition that we made. Okay. And then, of course, worship is a confusing word to Americans. And um, you got to realize that we have never had a sovereign in our country. Mm, yeah. Of a president. Right. Our Bible was written in a country in England where there were sovereigns. And when you approach a sovereign, you do so by bowing. Now, Americans uh, feel a little uncomfortable, I think, maybe, because it's just something they haven't done. I think they intend to be that way. 
And so I just try to illustrate that, how you would meet a president and how you would meet a king, and it's totally different. When you meet the king, you bow. You meet the president, you stick out your hand, and it's good to meet you, Mr. President. My name is Dave. Right. My fear, Thomas, is that's where we're treating God. We stick out our hand and say, hey, God. Right. And that just is yeah. a rock. Yeah, no, that's good. And another thought that helps with that is the difference in um, prayer and praise and worship. Prayer is primarily asking. Not always, but almost all the time, not because you ask. Praise is primarily thanking the Lord. Mm. But worship is honoring the Lord, showing his worthiness. Yeah. And so as that was explained, our people really bought into it. Often I would maybe associate in my mind, of course, I, I know, I know what prayer looks like, right? I, I did some of that this morning and often my praise would, there's times where I would talk to people and would praise God in a way that would try to lift him up and glorify him. But often that is done in my life in song. Would, would you say then that worship can be a part of those things as well? Or would you say that, that those are three very distinct separate issues? Or is there a lot of overlap? I, I do believe there's overlap. Praise is a wonderful thing. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. Right. Again, no intention to cut short prayer or praise. And I would say as a Baptist myself, that maybe we're not real good praisers or right. real good worshipers, either right. one. Yes. Some of yeah. our other Christian friends might do better with that. <laughs> yes. But physically speaking, yeah. I, I see a real difference yeah. because okay. of praise as I sometimes see maybe on TV watching a church service and mm -hmm. people are standing and maybe their arms are in the air or they raise their hand or whatever, and they call it their worship service. I, I have to disagree with that. Praise service. And you should be satisfied with realizing it's a praise service because God loves praise. But praise is more like at a ball game when you say, yeah, look what is taking place. Look what God is doing. It's his actions that we're thinking about. Right. Oh, that's when good. we worship, it's totally him. Yeah, we're just honoring him. I appreciate that distinction there. That when we're praising, we're often focused on the work of God in our yes. life. That, that's that's a that's helpful. I don't know that I would have. I don't know that I've ever considered that. But that that rings true to me in how what, those times when I'm most often excited about what God is doing, and it's almost always about what God has done for me or something that he's doing very rarely is it about who god is yes um, yes and those times that i consider who he is it's oftentimes what is i'm quiet and yep. uh, i mean even the posture makes sense that i would be low and bowing because of the nature of who he is and who i am and when i'm thinking about that right that that would change my i i appreciate that that's helpful for me thank yeah. you so, Brother Hardy, then I think the discussion up to this point begs the question, and this is actually a chapter actually right out of your book, Worship in the Ear of God. I believe it's chapter six. Can you worship without bowing? Yes, I, I do believe you can, but I can't put much description on it because I can't see where it's clear in the text. Right. Since bowing is inherent in the word, both Hebrew and Greek, then it speaks for itself. But for me to say you couldn't worship any other way, I, I don't think that, um, that I could say that. 
Now I use an illustration of maybe in that chapter about H2O, which is yes. water and uh, ice and steam. So when we uh, ask our people about bowing, we remind them that bowing is the most biblical form. So we're leaving right. room that maybe there is another form, but you just can't get away from it in the Bible. It's the most biblical form. So you go to a restaurant and the most uh, natural form of H2O is water. And some waiter comes and says, um, could I get you uh, something um, to drink maybe? Or you say, well, I would like water. And I know this sounds hokey, but he says, well, we don't, we have H2O, but we serve it nice and we serve it in steam, but we don't serve it in water. Mm. <laughs> but it begs the question, water is the normal form. Right. And so that's what you would expect, but that's not what you're getting. So I think maybe in a worship service, intentions are good. I think maybe God is honored, but what is the problem with just doing it in its natural form, which the gotcha. Bible deals with about 200 times. We're not talking about one of those subjects <laughs> with just one nail yeah. to hang your truth on. We're talking <laughs> about a word that's in the Bible before preaching. We're yeah. talking about a word that's in the Bible all the time when there is preaching. We're talking about a word and something will be going on when preaching is no more. Wow. So yeah. we're very quick to have preaching every week and we have music every week and uh, we take the offering every week. Right. What about words? Wow. That's a good thought. So what I'm hearing is that maybe quite often, actually, it could be that churches are focusing more on the ice and the steam and, and neglecting the water of, of worship. I think the perimeters, uh, mm -hmm. Nathan, many times it's the perimeters rather than just the core subject. And I think there's a reason for that. I really, first of all, believe it's because it's, again, since we've never had a sovereign, we're not used to kneeling before anybody. Now, there can be a good pride in a person's life and there could be a bad one. I think at that point, it may be a bad one. I think the biggest resistance to bowing in worship is, first of all, it's foreign to our thinking. Number two, I do think we're prideful. Yeah. Now, I've talked to leaders about this, and they say that actually Christians are the people that seem to have the most trouble bowing. Now, when you think about our Muslim friends, and when you see a big picture of yeah. a great number of them, what are they doing? They're always on their face. If I understand it right, they do this five times a day. Mm. They understand it well. And again, the missionaries will say in so many countries, those people do not have an aversion to bowing. Americans literally, and I think unintentionally, have an aversion to bowing. And I think that carries over to the pulpit and the reason that some preachers don't do it even though they see it in the text, because mm -hmm. they think they may offend someone. But now if a worship service is for God, who do we want to make sure we don't think? Right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think it's interesting that we work as, as preachers, we want to work so hard to pull the truth, the, the word of God from the culture of of thousands of years ago. This is something that is going to take work and effort to understand the culture of that day a little bit so that we can accurately interpret 
the word of God. But then we get to this issue and it's almost like, nope, don't care about that. Yes, we understand how that would work there, but we're not going to translate that to to today because for whatever, I mean, maybe maybe it's pride or the just the fact that maybe for some people, there's no frame of reference at all. Like you said, they're just with never having had a sovereign in this country mm-hmm. that created a whole different set of culture, a whole different culture that doesn't relate in that way. But, but it seems like it's so... It's, as we're having this conversation, it seems like an easy thing to make sure that, hey, this is clearly in the Bible. Why are we not right. making sure that we're taking care of it in our yeah. in our churches? That's a um, or even in my own personal life. It wasn't always yeah. a church service that worship happened. So yeah. Well, maybe let's talk about that for for just a minute, Brother Hardy, because we we've kind of talked about two different realms: the the private aspect of worship as well as the the public aspect of worship in, in our church services how, how do those two different realms affect one another the the private worship versus the public worship i think uh, nathan that private worship is easier for people because they're probably at home mm-hmm. uh, maybe in the privacy of their bedroom or whatever mm-hmm. the case it, they're not on exhibition so to speak where other mm-hmm. people see what yeah so in that respect, uh, I think, you know, that it's easier. I would um, question the sincerity of worship publicly if we didn't worship privately. Then it would almost seem like a show if mm-hmm. that's the only time that we ever did it. Um, I've mentioned in my book that public worship really is a, a way to witness, worship and witness. Because when you do see the Muslims or anyone else or uh, maybe you're um, you're out for Sunday uh, lunch, and you're in a, yes. um, a cafeteria, you know, a restaurant, and then you see a family next to you, and they bow their head before they eat their meal. Well, not only are they honoring the Lord, and I realize that's prayer, but they at least bow their head. They're not bowing on the floor; it's not necessary because it's a mixture of prayer and worship. But they're honoring the Lord for it. It's a testimony, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we do that. It is. Uh, I enjoy my quiet personal time with the Lord. And many times when I worship myself, I just have to depend on the Holy Spirit. Things come into my mind that I want to say or somehow get to him, how much I love him, appreciate him, and know how my shortcomings are. But the Spirit makes utterings for us, you know, groanings for us with utterings cannot be uttered. I'm not saying it right, and I'm missing it. But he does that for me. And it's just a just a very private time but and again i think we can worship maybe without bowing but it's the most comfortable form isn't it kind of like a um kind of like a fetal position except you're not lying on your side like a baby that's completely surrounded and protected and provided for by its mother Uh, at the same time when you bow you realize how vulnerable you are somebody could walk up behind you knock you in the head and again, this may seem hokey, but maybe that wouldn't be good if you're doing that for God, because that's special. I, I sometimes have mentioned, what do you give the man that has everything? Uh, Christmas, I like, but my goodness, I'm trying to find the right gifts and for people that just have money. And I said, well, the thing you buy for the man has everything is what he wants. And it is in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, for the Father seeketh such 
to worship them in spirit and in truth. I very clear that he liked to have that maybe above everything else. And isn't it so unique? Doesn't cost a dime. Wow. Just a few moments of time and a little bit of pride to honor him. That's all it takes. So so private worship, it probably it's kind of step one. It we need to make sure that that's in place. Absolutely. Otherwise, the, the public worship, like you mentioned, could probably just be more of a show. But, uh, but both, are, both are important. Yeah, we'd say that about our prayer life. If the only time you're praying is when the preacher calls on you to pray for the offering or whatever, then you're mm. probably, uh, those, those are probably not, first of all, not effective prayers, but then also tend to be, um, they, they can get showy and can be all about yes. us instead of the actual communication with our father. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, that was good side benefits i would call them that from uh, worshiping mm -hmm. i noticed after we had started the worship service a little while gone by and it seemed like our, uh, our invitation to the altar you know was uh, was bigger more sure. people coming forward hmm. and so i was talking to somebody at the church one time about it and i said um, have you noticed that i'm not preaching anything different and they said yes don't you understand and i said no i don't i guess they said, well, you know, the Bible says um, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So anybody can be humble if they want to, and it's good to meet a humble person. But now, who are you humble towards? Because only one person can give grace. <laughs> That's good, yeah. So it would be good to have a humble spirit towards any other person in the right way. Yes, but when we're humble towards God, God gives grace, and grace is the desire and the power to do God's will. So this person said, if you preach a Bible truth and we're not living up to it, what makes us think we'll ever live up to it if we don't get more grace? And we feel like grace comes with worship because we are humble. Mm. Or just extra benefits. Yes. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's awesome. Well, and we, we breezed right right past that you gave a, a an amazing definition there about grace could you could you just one more time give that definition for grace for those who might want to write that down or commit that to memory because that, that's good let me go back to the original it would have been alexander mclaren the old scottish deceased he said first of all that grace was the root and the product of christian life and then he later said it was the desire and the power Grace provided the desire and the power. And another commentator who I don't know right now was changed that to the desire and the ability, you know, mm. to live the Christian life. Well, I believe mm. that to be true because you take grace out of the Bible, nothing happens. Mm. So, so if your church isn't full of people, there's plenty of people out there. Why don't they come? One or two reasons they don't have the desire to come or they don't have the ability to come. But if somehow grace can get into their life, then all of that certainly would change. Yeah, and, and worship is, is how we can access that. It, there's a, it, Grace is a benefit of worship. Yes, and if I could, if I could go just a little bit farther, you know, America is in great need of revival. Uh, mm. So we were thinking 2 Chronicles 10, 14, is that right? Uh, 7, 14. Uh, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, 
and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Why is it in the order it's in? His first word is humble. Seek my faith, turn from the wicked ways. You know, but why humble first? But I don't think we can ever pray right without grace. I don't think we can seek a space right without grace. I think it's impossible to turn from our wicked ways without grace. So once again, I see the idea of humbling, which comes with worship, is uh, very valuable. Yes, yes, sir. Well, I, I know we've probably already touched on it a little bit, Brother Hardy, but what are some challenges that we face today, maybe as Americans or maybe just as people in general, what, what are some challenges that we face when it comes to this, this practice, this idea of worship? Because it's not customary and people just don't do it. I think maybe um, it draws an attention that maybe is embarrassing to us. I think many times uh, people in a church service, I look into their face and you know, as a pastor, you read faces all the time. You, yes, you can help always looking into faces and we're thankful for them. We love those faces, but I can see conviction. And sometimes I don't see movement. Well, I know why they're not. I remember at 14, when I was convicted and ready to go, I was in a small building. A big Sunday for us in our church was 35 to 40. We're about five rows deep. But Satan made me think that aisle down to the altar was long <laughs> enough to take off a 747. And then he's saying, as you make your way down there, all the people are going to be wondering all the horrible things you did that you're coming to the altar. Yes. I think it's a little bit of embarrassment because it's different than what other people do. And our culture has been macho, no fear, this, that, whatever, yeah. rather than the very thing that the Christian probably needs to, um, you know, model right. in his life. Right. Yeah, dependence. Sure. Meekness is not weakness, they say, and that's certainly be true because Moses referred to as the meekest man on earth, but those that fooled with him didn't find out that the weakness. <laughs> right, sir. Yes, that's good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Well, Brother Hardy, what what would be in your in your mind? What would be the ideal worship service at a church? Now that we've kind of laid the groundwork, we we know what worship is. We know some of the benefits of it. What, what now, if you could, I mean, just build a, a worship service now, now that we know what a worship service is from the ground up, what, what would that worship service look like? Well, at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where I'm a member now, my son's church, he's a pastor there 22 years. They have added even something else, and they, and they refer to it as a call to worship. They have a pretty good size it's not an orchestra, an ensemble or whatever. I think maybe 25, 30 pieces though. And so right at time on Sunday morning when people are just gathering, it is time for the service. They have one of those great songs that just honors the Lord, turns people's faces towards it. And they just find their way to their seat if they're not already there. And they have responded so well to that. I don't, I'm amazed at how much they've enjoyed it. We've only been doing that a few weeks. And then, of course, we're just going with a regular song service for two or three songs. And as I mentioned before, and then my son or the music director will just say, now we've set this time aside just to honor the Lord. And 
we're going to bow before him and we invite you to kneel with us. And if you cannot or uncomfortable, you can just sit reverently um, in your pew. Of course, we've already had that song that turns people's hearts towards the Lord. And then those people just, I mean, they're on the floor. Yeah. And that's probably for maybe a stanza or two, what, two minutes. My son will come to the microphone and just pray a pastoral prayer, thanking the Lord for who he is and what he is and what he means to us. And then we go on with the service. You know, our people, once we started uh, the worship service, sometimes we'd go on vacation and they would ask for a place to go to church. And it was easy. Um, of course, it's been 18 years since I pastored. But it was easy to find those churches that were just so much like us. Um, I mean, same kind of music and standards and things, if I use that word. And uh, they would go and I'd say, well, how was the service? And they would say, it was really good. Thank you for recommending it. But sometimes they would say, but we didn't worship. So in their mind, they had come to that conclusion. If we didn't just have a quiet time to bow before the only one we bow before. And even in our news lately, with some of the things going on in our country, people wanting someone to bow to a particular group or whatever. And two or three times I've heard they say, I don't bow to anybody. But Jesus Christ. And I respect that. And that's my point too. Give him what he asked for. It cost me nothing but a little bit of P R I D E, which I've got plenty of. I'm not short on it. Yeah. And I can take that price. Yeah, that's good. That's because most good. of us are not short on it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm with you there. Yeah. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Brother Hardy, I see a need for a worship service like you've described in churches, but I'm not the pastor of my church. So whether my pastor just doesn't have the desire or, or see the need for this the same way that you have come to the place to see that or whatever reason, there, there could be a million reasons, I guess, why a pastor wouldn't be at a spot where ready to implement something like this in in their place of worship what would you give to a guy who's not the pastor who's serving and working in a place that maybe doesn't have this ideal situation what would you give to him who says i see the need for this i think that's good and i think that that would be right but i'm not the guy that's making those decisions i think maybe i would just try to have um, a cup of coffee and (laughs) visit and say you know i've been uh, studying a subject that's become very real to me Mm-hmm. And very important and just lay it out in your own words what you think it means how important it is in the bible and how many times it's mentioned in the bible it actually goes all the way back to what genesis chapter 18 and verse 2 when uh, those three men appeared to abraham right now the word shakah is the one translated worship in most of the old testament right. but the first time shakah is mentioned is in 18 2 when abraham bowed before those three men I don't think I would be far out of place to say if every time worship is mentioned in the Bible, you put the word bow in, people would understand it much better. Hmm. Yeah. It would be closer. So I think I would just explain what you learned about it. Yeah. And ask him what he thinks you can't push. Yeah. But you know, something I thought of too, I, I, I also, I think I mentioned in my book, worship after the rapture. Okay. Revelation chapter seven, when a, group of people, a multitude without number, 
yes. from every tongue, from every nation, yeah. and the elders and the angels, yeah. and they're all there, and they fall down and worship him. Wow. What would I feel like as a pastor if my church was there and that took place and all my people looked at me and said, what are they doing? Right. <laughs> it's the first time this ever happened. <laughs> yeah. That would, that would tear my heart out. Yeah. What are yeah. they doing? Yeah. But it ought to be something that's just part of life. I, I think in answer to that as well, I, I mean, this podcast could be a help in a situation like that. And yeah, the conversation absolutely. that we've had with Brother Hardy could could be a help to a guy in a spot like that that says, hey, I'm interested in this. But Hardy's um, articulated the the need well and the, in this short period of time. And so push and play on a on a podcast like this could potentially be a, a something that would help a pastor get to yeah. get to a different spot. Yeah. At least start the conversation. Uh, out of the years we did that at Eastland, I never heard one comment from any visitor that was offended hmm. or bothered by it. In fact, as I heard, it's the opposite. I even got letters back. That's the most worshipful service I've ever been in my life that were written. The same has been true at my son's church. And I'm wondering maybe, even though pastors have in their mind, that might be offensive and they don't want to be offensive. Mm. But it might be, if they really look at it, be more their problem yeah. than people's. Uh, and I looked at it that way for me because I thought, why haven't I done this before? Sure. <laughs> it's also helpful because it, it was one of the things that uh, just came to my mind as you were talking about Eastland and I'm like, man, that would be, that'd be different to walk into a service. I wonder how, a, I wonder how a guest would feel, you know, coming yeah. in and, but you, you made a statement right at the beginning of this conversation. The lost people have sometimes a higher estimation about what being a Christian is about than Christians sometimes do. That's true. And yeah. that might be just another situation that a lost, a lost person might come into a worship service and be totally okay with there being a worship being happening because that's what they would expect to go on yeah. in a church yeah. service. So. Brother Hardy, uh, as we're wrapping up this conversation on worship, uh, again, we've, we've got your book. Uh, I'd encourage if listeners have not already uh, picked this book up, we'll put a link to that. You can pick yes. that up on Amazon. But, but as, we're, as we're wrapping up this discussion on worship in the ear of God, would there be any last little uh, encouragement, exhortation, any, any last word of advice you would have for us when it comes to this idea of worship? Uh, yes, without taking very much time to go into it, Nathan, I, I titled the book, Worship in the Ear of God. Have you been able to see the ear on the front of the book? Some people have to look for it. Look into the cloud. Yeah, I see it there. All right. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Yes, sir. Well, I noticed how much God had an ear. For instance, when Abraham, you know, we talked about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. So would you destroy the city if there's 50? Did he have God's ear? Immediately. Yeah. Mm. What God if there's 40? Now, Abraham had God's ear. God yeah. said, I'll do it. You know, he went all the way down to 10. Yes. And every time, but there's many places in the Bible you can see where because they worship, people had God's ear. Days going to come in our life when money and medicine and technology is not going to fix it. Right. And you're going to wish you had the ear of God. Wow. Worship, not your way. Yeah. Wow.
well. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you, Brother Hardy. Sure appreciate your time today. Yes, thank you. And I'm confident that this conversation will be a help to some and those who will listen. And uh, sure appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed the episode today of Not the Pastor. If you've not read Brother Hardy's book, Worship in the Ear of God, I'd encourage you to purchase it from Amazon. There's a link to that book in the show notes. We would also love to hear from you about how your church puts worship into practice. You can tell us about it on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash not the pastor. Finally, would you take the time to rate and review this podcast on iTunes? Your review and five-star rating help get this podcast in front of more listeners. We really appreciate your help. We look forward to another episode next week. And until then, we are not the pastor.